0: Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike, and joining me today's episode are Emmett and Anne-Marie from the My Wall Street Analyst team. Before we get into the show, I just want to give a quick word from our friends and sponsors at Vodafone Business. Vodafone Business has always been a reliable provider for mobile and broadband needs, but now they are so much more. They now offer a whole array of digital apps, from productivity tools and security solutions to IT support and even website builders. They're no longer a telecoms provider, they're a comprehensive technology partner. They're really stepping up to help Irish businesses grow and flourish in an increasingly digital world, offering insightful digital advice and cutting-edge solutions on top of their dependable mobile network and broadband services. So if you're on a digital journey yourself, remember, Vodafone Business is there to support, guide and empower you every step of the way. Amory, hey Emmett, welcome to another episode of Stock Club. It's good to have you both on. How are we all getting on? How uh, Are there any reports back from Barbenheimer, Amory?
1: Um, I haven't I actually I delayed my Oppenheimer viewing so I only got to see Barbie but um, I was very impressed by the number of people in the theater for Barbie that were dressed in pink everybody Mm. came appropriately attired I thought that was nice
0: Emmett have you seen either yet
1: Yeah,
2: I saw Oppenheimer. I really enjoyed it. It was good to see like physicists that I studied way back when I was in college uh, in the real world, so to speak, like to see how Niels Bohr played a role in in the atomic bomb. And I didn't even realize that he was so closely involved with Oppenheimer. Now, more than I was aware that Einstein was an advisor to Oppenheimer, or at least was a, a counsel for Oppenheimer, it's amazing to see all these individuals who had such a dramatic impact on the world of physical sciences all existed at the same time and it made me think about that phenomenon where you just find certain areas of the arts and science world just seem to have these proliferations of incredible talent in and around at the same time and I it just hadn't occurred to me that Einstein and Schrodinger and Niels Bohr and all these other guys were Basically all talking to each other, helping each other mm. along. And it's it's just it was a great movie. Um, definitely eight point five out of ten would recommend.
0: Yeah. Alan Turing I know he wasn't involved in the time of bomb, but Alan Turing was very much there in the middle of World War Two as well. You know, it's interesting how it all coalesced yeah. around this one major event.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of similar in the writing community, like the post World War One, they always say, like, Oh, Paris, nineteen twenty two was the most significant meeting place for any kind of major artist or author that then subsequently went on to become famous like was like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway and Picasso Mm. were all there all at the same time and were interacting with one another and would have met one another. Um, Yeah, it is interesting how could those kind of cultural hubs form.
2: Yeah. Uh, You think about Apple and Microsoft formed down the road from each other, uh, founders well known to each other and then all these other spin-off industries that came from
0: Silicon Valley in the 70s. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. I saw a tweet from uh, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, and he was kind mm-hmm. of, he was a little frustrated that um, this was supposed to be a movie to get kids to become nuclear scientists yeah. or something. I was like, this, <laughs> this is not that movie. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Why. He he tweeted something where he, he said, um, oh, I hope that this inspires kids to study physics the same way that he said the social network inspired him to become an entrepreneur. And okay. then a lot of people were like, if you watch the social network and the takeaway from it was that you should do what Zuckerberg did in, in the movie. You you didn't watch the social network correctly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that might explain a lot. Yeah. Yeah. OK, uh, let's get into today's show. So there's a lot of earnings reports we could talk about. We We chose Spotify and there's a few reasons for this. I think the stock has doubled basically so far in 2023 or it had before this morning. Anyways, I think it's reverted back a little bit. But there's so much going on here. So it just announced a price bump to its premium plan and it might be facing a new thread as well in the form of TikTok music. So Amory, let's talk numbers first. How was Spotify's second quarter? I think for investors looking at this, the kind of main focus is on two things, user growth and then its margin performance.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting you pointed those two out because they're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum and how they turned out for this quarter and how they've kind of been for the last while. So um, Spotify reported 551 million monthly active users for the quarter. That was up 27% year over year, and that translates into a net ad of about 36 million subscribers. That's pretty impressive uh they also reported that they had 220 million paid subscribers which was up 17 percent from a year ago and its ad supported tier also saw an increase of users um up 34 percent year over year so kind of just really nice growth across the board and that translated into revenue growth of 11 percent year over year coming in at 3.18 billion euros which translates to about 3.52 billion dollars um, interesting few things with the revenue it's ad supported revenue grew 12% year over year and management said that its podcast advertising revenue growth reaccelerated to 30% year over year that was nice to see because they'd been having some issues there just as a reminder on what the podcasting stuff is um Spotify decided to um, bring in podcasts kind of as their Netflix pivot, where they were like, this is our self-owned content. We created ourselves with the idea being, oh, this should help bolster margins. Um, But last quarter, their ad-supported tier delivered a negative 3% gross margin, uh, simply because it seems that they overestimated the appeal of some of their content and therefore the ability to sell ads on it. Um, So that actually meant last quarter that we heard management talk about that. They said that they were going to be taking a closer look at their podcast partners and cutting loose, underperforming. That kind of included Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, kind of controversially, and a couple other big names.
0: How much was their contract worth again? I think it was
1: 20 million for the year. 20 million
0: for like 10 podcasts or something? Yep. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: for the exclusivity rights, yeah, which is insane. Um, also, this quarter, we saw something around that, which was that Spotify has loosened its exclusivity arrangements with some of its creators and has begun distributing their work to other platforms in a move, move aimed at increasing the audience and ad potential of those shows, um, which is very much kind of like an old studio model of, like, once the thing has been produced, how do we sell it off to everybody else? So um, maybe they'll generate a bit of money there. Um, but the real kind of meat and potatoes topic and the one that's most important when it comes to Spotify particularly now as it's kind of getting to it, getting at its age a bit. It's been on the market now since 2018, so that's about five years. Um, Most important is, is, is its margins, which has kind of always had an issue with. And really, since its inception, Spotify has an issue here. And that really comes down to the fact that its primary product is music. And that means that it has to negotiate with record companies to get music access. And those record companies are very large, and they're very powerful, and there's kind of no way to get around them. And as we have talked about, I would say probably over the last two years, there's considerable consolidation within that industry which means you really are only negotiating with about three companies and that's a very difficult position to be in that basically means now that spotify's streaming revenue is a 70 30 split meaning that 70 percent of their revenue is going to rights holders and that's everyone from music publishers to songwriters to master recording artists um and that's kind of crazy to think about that 70 percent is going there because we continually hear about how artists are really squeezed out by spotify as of right now the current pay rate is um from $0.003 per stream. Um, And just so you can kind of like imagine what that looks like, looks like, like Taylor Swift right now is the most streamed artist on Spotify. And she only generates about $220,000 a month from Spotify. And I know that that's like a very awesome annual salary for most of us. But when you consider that she's generating billions of streams per month, it kind of seems like she's being underpaid.
0: Yeah, when you consider... When you consider she's pushing back a recession on her own, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to twenty grand a year doesn't seem enough.
1: No, it it does kind of make it seem like, well, if you were an up-and-coming artist or an independent artist, there really is no way for you to generate a living from Spotify, and yet it is the way that the vast majority of us consume music. So um, that's kind of the rock and the hard place that Spotify is stuck between, and and that has always meant that their gross margin has been kind of terrible. Um, Currently, it's sitting at 24%. Um, In 2021, it squeaked up up to about 28% for a single quarter, but then came right back down, and that 24% margin is pretty much where it debuted in quarter one of 2018. So, it really hasn't gone anywhere. Um, and analysts expect this gross margin to remain deflated for the next kind of two years while Spotify tries to figure out where it's going to get its new independent content. Um, and most importantly despite revenue and user growth operating loss this quarter reached 247 million translating to a negative 7.8 percent operating margin last quarter that was in and around negative five percent quarter before that it was in about negative 7.3 percent this is i think the worst operating margin they have delivered since they've been a public company and it just is shocking to think that like you are one of the biggest players in the music space and you can just not turn a profit um and they they talked about that a little bit like where that net loss is coming from in the quarter they said it's because they have to increase their headcount mainly uh, in the research and development department which they did not provide details of what those people are developing maybe it's ai music to bolster their product i don't know how successful that's going to be um and and it's it's also because they went through a pretty significant negotiation over the last 3 months with those recording um companies which now means that they're undoubtedly paying more money to them so um very, it was it was a difficult quarter in terms of profitability certainly
2: I have, my son called me in recently to show me AI his Spotify AI playlist, and it was just unbelievable how good it was. It knew his listening habits, uh, habits and the tunes that he likes, and we were skipping through the tracks, and in total agreement with everything that it was throwing up. So certainly, I, I mean, AI is going to touch every business, but I just thought the first implementation of it there on Spotify was very, very impressive.
1: Yeah, but I think what they want to do is have music made by AI that they mm. can own. So they can oh. like then they won't be paying licensing fees to a, a, a record company. Um and so I I don't know what we want to be what listing. I don't know Ugh. like what that's gonna look like yet and if, yeah. yeah.
0: it will be more like lo fi study music than yeah, you know, classical. the AI we've seen, which is like I don't know, Michael Jackson singing a ron Navine or something like that, yeah, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, let's talk about the recent bump in the price of its uh, premium subscription plan. So I think we all look at businesses that have this pricing power that, you know, can retain customers while upping the prices. This a testament to that.
1: Um, yeah, I, I would I would say so, but I'd say it's most definitely also a reflection of those new contracts that they were just forced to sign. Just a, a bit of info on that was they announced on Monday that there will be an increase to premium subscriptions, which in the United States will be as much as $2. Um, it seems that across the board, they're aiming for about a 20% rise overall, and it will be implemented to international markets over the next kind of six months. Um, the management basically said that they needed to do this in order to continue to evolve and says that it will allow them to continue to deliver value to both families, and artists, um, when asked about the company's ability to raise prices long-term and kind of provide value to customers, uh, Daniel Eck, who is the CEO, um, says that if we're doing uh, if we're doing that, I believe that we have the ability to raise prices due to the value-to-price ratio at an appropriate level. Discussing, you know, the increase in podcasting that they're looking into, and then they've long, for probably the last two years, discussed that they want to expand into audiobooks. So he basically feels that. In terms from a customer standpoint, this price increase will be justified down the line by them. I don't know, maybe you get two free audio books a month or something like that. But you know, that's a hotly contested market. You're coming up against Audible, which is owned by Amazon, and you know you get Amazon you get often a free Audible book with your Amazon Prime subscriptions. It's I don't it's a, it's a difficult field in which to be in. Um, As of right now, Spotify said that the price increases are expected to have a minimal impact on the company's total revenue in the third quarter. So um, definitely something to keep an eye on to see if that means people will cancel or drop down to an ad-supported tier. Um, I'd say the pricing within the streaming service is pretty standardized. I think Apple is pretty much the same as Spotify. So I can't see anybody canceling to move off to another service simply to save a few dollars. I don't think they'll churn.
0: Yeah, and it's also like if you have... I'd say I have a hundred playlists made over the course yeah. of 10, 15 years, you know, that's some serious switching costs.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's worth it. And um, I remember a couple of years ago looking into tools that would like move a podcast or move us a, a playlist from one service to another. And like, it was someone's like shoddy at home project that they had built on a website and it, yeah, it, it didn't work as effectively. So um, yeah, I would say most people would be in the same boat where they're like, oh, I've established a listenership within this I'm, I'm not going anywhere
0: yeah absolutely so let's talk about spotify the stock so it went public in 2018 and we've seen how much more popular the business has become and the usership has grown but in those five years the stock is almost flat basically so why has this been such a flop for investors i think the margin problem is probably where you're going to start yeah. is it
1: yeah, the margin issue is, is is definitely the issue. And I would say that it's one of those instances in which it's a really great product and an interesting company, but it's a terrible business. And <laughs> I think that comes from people expecting Spotify to be a software company. Um, but it's not like a software company in that you're not going to spend all this money up front and develop your product and then say, great, when we surpass 400 million users, this product will be profitable and everything we make after that is profit. Because Spotify's, expenses just grow in tandem with its user Mm. base because you're they're paying on a per stream basis to the record companies so there's no way to escape this they could everybody on earth could have a spotify account and they would still be funneling billions if not trillions of dollars back towards the record companies that own the rights um and this actually makes me think of another issue that we didn't discuss last week on the topic of the sag and the writer strikes but we probably should which is residuals um Licensing for TV and film for a really long time was also based upon viewership or listenership, you know, um, because actors, writers, and directors were entitled to aftermarket dollars because their work was being shown again and the network was there for generating ad sales. Um, and so I actually think this is a reality that is hitting music streaming right now, but I'd say it's going to hit a number of, um, of of industries to come if we continue to see labor issues come up Um because I think like the the visual streamers, you know, Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO, they've gotten away with this because there's a lack of, of data transparency. So they don't have to disclose, oh, yeah, we bought the rights to this and then it was viewed by 100 million people. That just doesn't happen. So no one is getting paid residuals or at least they're getting paid really small pennies because they're just getting a portion of the licensing fee. Um, and so I'd say that exact same issue might be about to bite all of these streamers um, and make it even more difficult for them to turn a profit um and i i really i think yeah it's it's overall a a reflection of of people just expecting i don't know i think there's this thing of like oh if a a company is in the technology space if they're making something that requires tech that uses your phone or uses a computer that it makes it like a, a viva systems or an adobe where there's a huge amount of profit being made and, and there's all this cash flowing around. Um, and I think the market is maybe waking up to that reality because as we, said, as we said, like a year, year and a half ago, there was this huge push within the market for companies to reach profitability. And now I think people have kind of woken up to that being like, yeah, do you know what? Maybe I should consider profit when I pick stocks. And and now we're kind of realizing, wow, there's a lot of companies that their journey to profitability seems exceptionally difficult. And we, I don't know if they'll get there very easily.
0: Yeah, so Spotify doesn't really get to do the build once, sell twice kind of business no. model. It's, yeah. Okay, lastly, before we move on from Spotify, I just want to talk about the threat of TikTok music. So this is kind of, was it launched at the start of the week? or Yeah, only limited came markets. came out, essentially. Mm-hmm. Limited markets, there we go. So mm-hmm. how much of a threat do you think this could be?
1: I actually am quite interested in this. Um, As I said, like, once you have an established relationship with a music streamer, it's kind of hard to move on. But I'd say that this could be a really good opportunity to get, like, young people who maybe haven't picked their streaming service yet, or maybe, you know, they've been grandfathered into a service because, like, their parents already have a a membership or something like that. But um, as we've discussed before, when we talk about how TikTok disrupted the advertising industry, TikTok is really important for how people now discover new music. And it's very important in launching new artists and getting them exposure in places you know that you might be familiar with or if you don't have a label there's obviously going to be no ad spend behind you but you know if you could get a few viral tiktoks that could make your single or your album you know chart, which is an insane feat i was just actually telling emmett last week there's a girl called lizzie mcalpine who went viral on tiktok on several occasions and then she released an album and that album has performed very well and she ended up you know going on tour with uh, boy genius and i think she's opened up some taylor swift shows um and she's unsigned she doesn't have a label um and so to think you could pull that off is, is very impressive and so i actually do think if the streaming service was integrated into tiktok and as you were coming across the song you could it was like a very streamless partnership mm, just, a, you just go oh just yeah a
0: one one click uh save yeah. that song to my playlist add that yeah, to, yeah, to a playlist
1: of- because the way i do it now is like i'll come across something and then i manually go over to my my music streamer and like type it in, find it save it or whatever
0: and then you realize you only like the chorus sped up yep. on that TikTok song and not the actual yeah. song. Yeah. I'm always like,
1: "Oh, I only actually like the first 10 seconds since that's quite annoying. But um yeah, and so I think, like, establishing that relationship will be interesting. Um, as of right now, it is only available in Australia, Mexico, and Singapore, which is adding on to the initial beta launch that they put into Brazil earlier this month. Uh, apparently, Brazil is, like, the second largest market uh, for music after the United States for TikTok, so it'll be definitely interesting to see what results they get there. Um There's also, I wonder if they are going to get slightly more competitive rates out of the record company simply because they already have negotiated contracts with um, all of the major music studios because in order to use like the samples of the song that get used in TikTok videos, you have to license that. So um, they're definitely already used to negotiating with those players. And apparently last week, they reached an expanded licensing agreement with Warner Music Group. So that's definitely going to set a precedent for them now moving on to get licensing agreements with Universal and the other players. Um. So, yeah, d- uh, definitely something to watch. As of right now, Spotify commands about 31% of the global streaming market, with Apple Music following with about 13.7. So maybe it's a thing of, like, they're not actually going to disturb Spotify at all. They're going to go for the rest of that market that has been left up into other smaller regional players. So, uh, yeah, definitely something to watch. I think it's an interesting turn.
0: Okay, yeah. So that's Spotify. I could say things aren't looking... <laughs> too rosy for them um but let's move on then so uh there seems to be quite an ipo resurgence we talked a bit about this a couple of weeks back with our kava ipo and we're seeing kind of more long tail effects from it now so Emmet, i'd like to get into this for a while but we're going to start with a simple question why do we love ipos or at least why do we want to see a steady stream of them on the markets
2: well as we know not everyone Can own their own business but anyone can own a share of a business and its profits by investing in the stock market and in companies and it's a time proven simplest way to build wealth over the long term it's the message we've always been espousing here at my wall street um and as they say you do it by riding in the coattails of the biggest and best companies in the world so ipos are like the ipo market is like the maternity hospital so to speak it's where new life you know becomes available to normal people on main street and once upon a time apple coke ford ibm and every other international giant ipo'd and in all likelihood there's a business that's ipo'd in the last 12 months or will ipo in the next few months that is a future giant and corporate icon as big someday as coke or ford or whoever now lads, you might remember a few weeks back Uh, in what I think we can agree was a stock club low point I described the shape of a share price graph I can't remember what (laughs) company I went on about but the story was it went down a bit and then went up a bit and then to our listeners great delight it went down again well I'm going to do it all over again but this time I'm going to describe the number of IPOs per year so the number of IPOs in America are, are specifically the United States from 1999 to 2020 was a about 200 a year, give or take. There was a few exceptions like in 2008 and 2009, there were uh, 62 and 79 IPOs respectively, but it's more or less always say between 150 and 300. Then in 2020, there were 480, which is an aberration but stand back y'all you ain't seen nothing yet in 2021 there was 1035 listings in america that's 20 a week mm. compared to about three or four in normal times and the that, reason uh,
0: that encapsulates yeah. specs as well
2: it does oh yeah you're right so listings and i guess ipo is a broad term and ipo and a spac are two separate things uh, a spac is i suppose a, a process to side step an IPO but the SPAC itself needs to IPO if you know what I mean so yeah, it's a yeah, derivative yeah. um so you're right so the reason 2021 was really quite the year for IPOs was uh there was so many of them were SPACs and, and that is a complete conversation unto itself but 1035 is a big big number and then last year in 2022 the number of IPOs dropped back to within that range if you like it was 181 so it was in between the 150 uh, 300 band that your eye will detect when you look at the number of ipos per year so it it was it felt like normality uh had somewhat returned to the rate and pace of ipos and there's been a lot of chat and maybe it's recently Bias on my behalf, but a lot of chat about firms delaying going public for a longer time, in spite of increasing value, and uh, we talk about Stripe and like SpaceX is just a standout example. Like it's still heavily investing in research and development projects, and it still remains private because you know who is loaded and has tons of cash, and and these giant businesses are looking at IPO and go well, why should I? And they might have some pressure behind them from early investors to create a mechanism for liquidity, but you know it's. deferring it for various different reasons so that's kind of the the you know the why we like to see a steady stream of ipos mike because it really is as i said it's the lifeblood it's where we can now look for the next future giants
0: yeah absolutely and i think there needs to be a new stream of companies coming in for retail and institutional investors alike for sure uh, so last week oddity tech uh, the parent of a d2c beauty brand called il maquillage makeyash yeah yeah uh, it had a very successful stock market debut with huge demand from institutional investors so the wall street journal mentioned that this event followed an 18 month period of little activity indicating the potential for a resurgence in the ipo market are we in for an ipo renaissance is this the kind of open the floodgates we'll say
2: Yeah, it's very, very slightly off topic. But I had a look at uh, Oddity, which today is a market cap of $2.8 billion. And when shares became available or... When it IPO'd and shares were freely flowing on the day, they, they got out of the trap at about $35 a share and they're now $50 a share. So I, I kind of ended up getting drawn into this oddity story. And, and I would suggest to our listeners or to yourself, guys, to have a look at the website oddity.com if for nothing only just to see how to talk big. I mean, this is a company <laughs> that I remember looking. Oh, uh, Matterport. I remember once mm. uh, we spoke here on the podcast about Matterport, and I somewhat lampooned their, uh Was either their S? No, was it? It was their IPO documentation. Oh no, no, no! Uh, I can't remember. It Was a document where basically they said there was like um, five hundred trillion dollars worth of property.
0: I, I remember this. You sent this to yeah. me. It was our our total addressable market. Our TAM was. $20 trillion? It was the value of all real estate in the world or yeah, something like yeah. that?
2: Yeah, so, well, I, I remember thinking that's out there with the original WeWork uh, prospectus, which I would have put in the same category in my mind. Well, mm-hmm. I think oddity I wouldn't be so hard on Oddity, but what they say on the front of their website is this is category-shifting technology and it is built to be the most impactful platform of our lifetime. So Oddity are... Really talking big, um, but but to your point, the listing success uh, of Oddity has really sparked optimism, um, and a, a talk about a potential revival in the IPO market, um, and you know, because of several, basically there's been a lot of barriers to IPOs that apparently have lifted recently. Uh, US stocks are on the rise, so it feels like there's a tailwind certainly in the first half of the year. Volatility in the market has decreased. Inflation has, I guess, eased a bit and is a little more predictable at the moment. And investors are at last showing interest in uh, I suppose speculative bets, and I don't like using that term, but that there's more free flowing dollars saying i'll give i'll give it a shot but the real key, however, is that the i p o market's future resurgence now depends on private companies' willingness to actually submit to public ownership and and despite a positive outlook, it's unlikely that the i p o market will reach the level seen in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one uh but there's some a lot of uh, exciting promising uh, companies out there uh, like Arm and Turo and Instacart and so on like we we've spoken about great private businesses on many occasions over the last few months and years even uh, that are sitting there and it feels like an IPO is an inevitable mechanism because they have hit that critical point where it is the next logical step if for their own capitalization and for I suppose their the business of self-actualization you might say
0: yeah I think the Arm was is it Arm or ARM? ARM. ARM. That got so yeah. messy. There was uh, the big acquisition that fell through with the UK yeah. uh, regulators. So they decided to IPO yeah. instead. But I can also see them seeing so much love for semiconductors right now and be like, get us on the public markets. There is a huge appetite for this. Um, They've been around for donkeys years. They have been around for so long. Yeah. I think is it's not wholly owned, but uh, your man... Masayashi-san. What's the name of the company? The company will always take the piss uh, uh,
2: oh, Softbank?
0: Softbank, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Softbank. that's right.
2: It was founded by a guy called Sir Something, I can't remember his first name, Sir Something Rose. I think it might have been Sir Julian Rose. And I remember following it, honestly, 20, I think it's 25 years ago, my dad said, I think I'll invest in this company, Aram. and we had a look together, and, and I think he bought shares, um, and I, he might still have them. Uh, I doubt very much if he remembers he still has to. <laughs> but
0: anyway, uh I hope he does. He'll be rifling through the attic for some stock certificates. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Um question on you both, so we we're talking about private companies that need to think of going public to make this IPO resurgence actually happen. So out of for the two E, what private company would you like to invest in today? Emmet, you start with you.
2: Um mm. I know from a chat with Amory, I wouldn't be surprised she's about to change my mind in the next 20 minutes. But anyway, I would probably go for the big, bold, obvious OpenAI the company that developed ChatGPT launched late November 2022. It's garnered billions of dollars in VC. And as we all know, it's private. Um, and the reason is that, look, where we talk about disruptive power of AI all the time everyone's talking about it's almost it's the boring hot topic if you will but there's no question or doubt that their lead in the market is something that's going to be very hard to catch up on not impossible Bard is there actually I asked Bard a question because Bard is trying to differentiate from ChatGPT by uh saying it's up to date and I asked it about uh, a certain company's quarterly report or uh, the quarterly earnings report from the night before. And it was the answer was like it was written by the Bride of Frankenstein. It was <laughs> it was out. It was away with the fairies. I have never read such a lo I read it going, this is preposterous. Uh, <laughs> so it's not there yet. But anyway, I would think I would go with ChatGPT um, just because I think it's a, a good speculative investments not hyper speculative but that's probably what i'd go with what about you amory
1: i went like no speculation at all and just like went for like what's a successful business that i wish i owned um Mm. and i went for chick-fil-a which unfortunately you guys like it doesn't exist outside of the united states so you you may not have had it but it is like the way the Chick-fil-A expands is so interesting to me um, and it kind of has all those things that you want to see if you're going to buy stock in a in a food chain which um, it's like has it's very well known for service. Uh, its employees love it because it's always closed on Sundays so they feel like in terms of working in a fast food chain you get a nice work-life balance. These are franchise model so they don't own any of the property themselves. They are a really really recognizable brand in the United States and they're slightly more premium fast food. They're You know they're almost in the realm of Chipotle so I think they're, they're very well done there and then I did a bit of research and chick-fil-a ranked third behind mcdonald's and starbucks in a 2019 listing of top grossing chains in the united states um the group estimates that chick-fil-a grew sales by 13 percent in 2019 to 11.32 billion and all they sell is like a couple chicken sandwiches chicken nuggets fries a few chickens chicken salads like very have you lovely, eaten there amory oh yeah it's very good it, they're um, excellent. Spicy chicken you, sandwich.
2: Mm. I, I know when we're eating meat products you don't want to think too hard about it. You can't go too deep in your thinking about the whole affair. But like I always worry about firms that differentiate with volume chicken. I mean those chickens didn't have a good life.
1: Yeah, that is the thing, but Chick-fil-A actually has this Chick-fil-A sauce, and when you eat the Chick-fil-A sauce, you just forget about all of that, so <laughs> I think that's the point, but <laughs> most interesting from an investment standpoint is Chick-fil-A is still very much in like its growth mode, um, so Chick-fil-A just has over 2,400 locations, which comparable, you know, McDonald's domestic locations in the United States has over 13,000, so definitely even at this point, despite Chick-fil-A being really popular, it still has lots of room to grow and lots of places to go, so yeah, I would like love to buy stock in chick-fil-a it just seems to be one of those brands that that can't catch
2: what about you mike what would you
0: choose which private company would you buy shares in if you could you know what's an interesting one now because we're always looking at international stocks with um charging and fearless is ikea yeah yeah ikea seems to have that unbelievable brand value and then it's nuts but so many Billion-dollar businesses, a lot of them private and a lot of them smaller that you haven't heard of, are coming from Sweden. Sweden is like yeah. a yeah. corporation powerhouse. So, yeah, I think IKEA could be a good one. I don't know much about their unit unit economics, but I imagine it's cheaper to give you a box of parts than actually yeah. building it yourself.
2: Yeah, it's a great one. Every, every giant business's founder's backstory is interesting, and I happened to read the founder of IKEA's backstory, um, and it was... And I don't recall his name, but I'm pretty certain the the name Ikea is a derivative of his name. And um, he was, I'm using past tense, I don't even recall if he's still alive, but he was famously frugal. Like frugal to the point of that type where it's nearly a medical issue. And um, like, for (laughs) example, wanted matches to have a head on both ends because there was wasted wood. And right through till the day he finished working in Ikea, he cycled on the same bike as he had when he was a young man and basically i don't use the word poverty but he lived a life of scarcity um and this thought sponsored the entire strategic direction of ikea that nothing should be wasted everything is a resource that needs to be valued and, and 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 value and value for money was the driving force and when you think about things like bowman's strategic clock which i've possibly referenced on this podcast before it's kind of it's it's a clock and you can identify where a business sits in that clock and there's a zone of failure so for example you can be very high luxury which means pricing sensitivity um and premium pricing and low volume and then on the other end of the clock there's this kind of like Ryanair or Ikea where really they're differentiating by bringing the margins as close to the waterline as possible. And then there's this zone of failure of businesses that try to do both. And when I think of a business that tried to do both and as a consequence failed because that zone of death or zone of failures, like I think of Nokia. Nokia was once upon a time the king, the kingpin of phones. And it had such a strategic lead, market lead. There was a duopoly, you could argue, between Nokia and Ericsson, Scandinavian giants. And Nokia had premium phones, but it tried to be a premium phone producer and at a uh, at a budgetary price and 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 anyway i'm drifting but <laughs> but i love ikea's clarity of purpose and its backstory is very inspirational if you ask me
0: yeah absolutely we've seen that success in ryanair and costco and ikea as well that just a spartan approach to costs it does pay off if you do it right um Okay, it's a good time to talk about Charging and Fearless there after just mentioning it. So if you like listening to us, you're going to love reading from us. We are delivering to your inbox one of the most unique products on the market and it's completely free. No one else is covering the markets we covered with Charging and Fearless where we deliver to you a new weekly stock pitch that could be from Amsterdam, Tokyo, Paris, Stockholm, apparently. It seems to be the hub of everything. Uh, So that is a completely free stock pitch every week. You'll have a red in 30 seconds flat and we can almost guarantee most of these companies are going to be brand new to you, which is where you get an edge. Sign up now in the show notes for today's episode.
1: I'm just after realizing there that we've been talking about Swedish company Spotify is Swedish.
0: Mm-hmm. Spotify is Swedish. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. They,
0: they they could take a leaf out of IKEA or Ryanair's yeah. book when it comes to costs.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Did I rattle on and waffle on on this podcast about my trip to Stockholm with John tyrrell the co-founder of my Wall
0: Street, where we went to the Nasdaq in Stockholm? Did I? I, did I talk about you it? It? I might have, but you you can go off one if you want. I'll
2: give a quick blast. Well, we went a a couple of years ago to explore floating my Wall Street as a liquidity option. um, And we had done the IPO Ready program on the Irish Stock Exchange, which is now owned by the Euronext Group, the third or fourth biggest stock exchange group. And at that time, the ISE, Irish Stock Exchange, had a strategic partnership with the New York Stock Exchange, which was owned by the ICE Group, the Intercontinental Exchange Group. But it has now been sold to the other guys, uh, the Euronext Group. So there was a little bit of, uh, we were at a decision point and and we were were invited to go up to NASDAQ uh, Stockholm, which is known as the First North exchange and it used to be in the ford car factory sorry it's in the former ford car car factory in stockholm a really beautiful building if you ask me if you're into architecture it's truly fascinating because you can imagine a car factory has a vast amount of space and am invited up for paddy's day there was an irish company listing on the i think it was the aim of the first north and the company is called um Zutech, Z-U-T-E-C-H, I must see how they're doing. And we went up for Paddy's Day and we we're invited in and they had the place decked out in Irish. Uh, it was all very Irish for the day. And um, it was a really beautiful experience. I love the architecture and the art deco of the whole place. And and of course, being at a float at an IPO was great fun and the bell ringing and all the rest. And I was chatting with various uh, ministers who were up there for the day and I really enjoyed it. But what did strike me, was exactly the point you just made, Emory, which is the number of iconic Swedish businesses and giant Swedish businesses that have touched the world. And whether we're talking about Spotify or we're talking about, um, uh, what's that vodka company? Absolute, which is not floated as far as I know, or whether we're talking about Ikea. And then there's other giant businesses that I've watched for years and years and years and never really uh, connected the dots like Auto Leaf, which is virtually monopolistic business in the world of safety restraints also known as safety belts seat belts so whether you're working in uh ford or or volvo or 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 tesla your safety belt it's almost invariably made by auto leave and, and and it's a very good, but very lovely business. I, I've been a big admirer for years and I, it just struck me the pedigree of companies that come out of Sweden is just unbelievable. It's actually unbelievable that I don't know what it is as some nations just seem to uh, proliferate efficiency and I think business efficiency is, is tantamount
0: to Sweden. Mm, that's great. Fun fact on the seatbelts, uh, Volvo mm. invented it and they didn't patent it because they said it was too important to uh, public safety. Wow. Another Swedish yeah. giant, Volvo. There you go. It's probably where the the company you mentioned comes Auto-Leave, from. Autolive, well. yeah. yeah. ALV is their ticker, folks. Okay. Um, let's get into big deal or no big deal real quick here. So, Amory, a Stanford study found that ChatGPT gets worse over time. Big deal or no big deal?
1: Um... I think it's we're kind of in a gray area here where we don't really know. Um, I went and had a uh, read at a study. Basically, what they did is they uh, were. Tr- challenging ChatGPT over a period of time to see what its development would look like um, in four different tasks, which was solving math problems, answering sensitive questions, generating software code, and visual reasoning. Um, and they said specifically with ChatGPT-4, its ability to solve math problems deteriorated significantly. So over the course of the study, which began in um, March and ended uh, like last week, um, researchers found that ChatGPT-4 was able to correctly identify the number 17,077 as a prime number nine 97.6% of the time, but just three months after its accuracy plummeted to 2.4%. Meanwhile, and interestingly, chat GPT 3.5 had the opposite trajectory where it went from 7.4% uh, correctness to 86.8% correctness. And apparently this issue is called drift, and it happens when you're just trying to train a language model. James Zhao, who was the Sanford professor who conducted the study, said, when you are tuning a large language model to improve its performance on certain tasks, that can actually have a lot of unintended consequences, which might actually hurt the model's performance on other tasks. There's all sorts of interesting interdependencies in how the model answers things, which can lead to some uh, of the worsening behaviors that we have observed. So it just seems that, like, as um, the team within open ai tune the model and try and get it you know they might be doing something if they're like oh we would like chat gbt to have a friendlier manner or something like that as they tune there it like has some massive ripple effect further on down the model that all of a sudden it can't identify prime numbers or something like that um it also seems to be refusing now to like explain its thinking. Um, They asked it a couple of questions, and over the last three months, it it will provide you an answer, but sometimes it won't give you a reasoning as to why. They also don't know why that's happening. Um, So yeah, just a a reminder that the technology is constantly evolving. We don't really... We don't know where it's going to end up or, you know, what internet access or us all interacting with it does to it.
0: That just that just sounds like ai is getting more human because i used to be good yeah. at maths uh, and i could do <laughs> yeah. differentiation and all this stuff in the leaving sort of, and now i couldn't it looks like gibberish to me so yeah, yeah. true i used to be good at something once as well <laughs> <laughs> um, we've gone 40 minutes on the show without mentioning twitter's rebranding to x here which i think is pretty good but it has to come in somewhere. So uh, Elon Musk made dis- the decision to change the name of the social media company 2X. Big deal or no big deal. I read an interesting piece that basically put forward an argument that Elon's
2: rebranding 2X can be seen as an act of cultural vandalism rather than a typical business transaction. Uh, because throughout his takeover, Musk seemed less interested in the platform's existing assets or its brand value. And uh started to dismantle and i suppose erase its previous identity but the crux of the conversation is that the reasoning behind spending 44 billion dollars when he could have built a brand new twitter-like service for less it was he could have built a twitter-like service for less money but either way the piece that i read Uh, from an author called Casey Newton on on Substack said that the true purpose of his project was not solely about profit-making, but an ideological purge aimed to rid the platform of what Elon perceived as woke and entitled employees while shifting the company's focus and wealth towards right-wing users. Overall, Musk's rebranding of Twitter can be seen as an extended act of cultural vandalism, reflecting his disregard for the platform's past and desire to reshape it according to his own vision. Now, I'm not so sure, like I've read variations of that point and, and I've seen it out there and it's kind of, I suppose, I don't want to call it the knee jerk, but it was the first set of reports that we heard or that I encountered anyway when he rebranded it to X. But really the the assets are the, the supreme asset of Twitter is its user base. Now I'd be surprised if 100 people stopped using Twitter uh, because they disliked a new name or brand. Like you either use something you don't no way you accept a name um and the icon if you like or the iconography uh, was you know once it fulfills a purpose and its utility and i read something again somewhere about users being paid for engagement in the new version of x without having to sign up which as simple as it sounds is a really genius idea if you ask me because we'll see dollars land when we see dollars land from piece of quality content that we produced on Twitter well the whole of the user base will lean in a little harder and the originality and the quality of what goes on the platform I believe will rise I mean if you just happen to be a tweeter and then out of nowhere you're suddenly getting 20 bucks a week or 50 bucks a week and you can see it you know getting to 100 bucks a week well I'm telling you more and more people will will realize their creators but i uh, heretofore ever mm-hmm. haven't about themselves like that i mean there was there's a bigger vision um from elon for uh, what he's calling an everything app i think it's like wechat the chinese giant where you you do everything you can order a cab and pay for bills and speak to each other and i think this kind of we wechat of of the west is is his b-hag so yeah x ties in with other brands like spacex that he obviously owns and controls um and today those two businesses don't feel related like spacex and x which we once called twitter are about as related as i don't know coffee and and and, and crisper like they're completely unrelated but but whatever when you take a 20 plus year perspective i think there's something very cohesive about the move so i'm going to vote against the crowd um, I would say I'm going to vote against 999 people out of 1000 and say this is a big deal because in the scheme of new American mega brands I think just like that we've seen the
0: birth of something huge Oof, hard disagree Anne-Marie you're
1: waving at me um, well I just like you didn't mention the trademark issues that it's hmm, like, yes. um, yeah, <laughs> nine hundred active U.S. trademarks register registrations covering the letter X. Microsoft holds one specifically related to communications because of the Xbox, and then Meta owns one. They obtained a federal trademark in two thousand nineteen for a blue and white stylized letter X in areas like software and social media. So, mm. I there might be that might be an issue that they're about to kick off. Yeah, there. Yeah, um, yeah. I also think I don't know. It's just too. It's I just like too vague and generic and apparently when PayPal, because this is the big thing is, 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 um, Elon's been trying to make this happen like forever. And he tried to rebrand PayPal to X several years ago, which is why PayPal actually owns the domain for several years. And they, um, Peter Thiel was like, no, we're not doing this. And then, um, it, elon was so upset that they said fine we'll do user testing and they brought in a bunch of people and the reason paypal ended up rejecting the idea at the end of the day and then ousting elon was because when users saw x or saw like x.com they assumed that it was a porn website and i don't think that that has changed Mm. yeah and also the issue with paying users for content which i have noticed on twitter because that was rolled out recently um was that it means that lots of people post like really awful outrage content to get people to interact with the post and like leave comments to be like this isn't true or whatever in order to generate money so that has, has been the other issue
0: that would have been my main concern with the uh, paying creators is like people have figured out this is already happening people have figured out a way to boost engagement just by being as controversial as possible so if you're just egging that on it's it's going to make Twitter much nicer than it already is
2: well, I do think on that particular issue, um, I believe open systems like a wiki, they self-cleanse eventually. So those people who are hacking the system are earning a fast dollar and they will continue to exist. But I think over the period of multiple years, they, I, I believe that those um, types of content, if you will, they they end up being kind of, the, they regress to zero, if you like, or at least yeah. they're contained. When it comes to the trademark issue, you mentioned there, Anne-Marie, which I only came into my line of sight before we went live about Facebook owning X. Yeah, you got it. I have to admit there's something there. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But everybody owning a trademark for the use of X in in a soft drink, that's fine. It's a different product category and you can't prove use. But like for this, it's like, uh, okay, right. That mightn't have been as well thought out as, as I thought.
1: <laughs> they also, um you see he was like ripping the the name off of the masthead at the San Francisco office. He was they they like brought out someone and they got up there and were ripping off the letters. And then the San Francisco Police Department came and shut them down because they didn't yeah. get a permit to use the equipment to take down the sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: well, what what did what did Elon Musk spend 44 billion quid on? Because he bought the company. He fired Mm -hmm. everyone, so he didn't have the staff. He hates the code. He keeps, like, saying the code is awful and redoing it, so he didn't buy the code. And now he's getting rid of the brand. He bought the user base. And the thing about the user base is that
2: their half-life is way longer than the other social media networks. So, like, you know, someone who signed up for Twitter 10 years ago probably uses it as much or more now, whereas someone who signed up for Facebook facebook original 10 years ago has probably disengaged and i think it's the fact that the flow of information the the end users is getting more every time they open twitter than contributing more
1: yeah Yeah, i would just worry that that user base has been very alienated because like i think the lack of like you talk about how wikipedia is self-cleansing but those people are not paid you know it's very much in a huge effort by like thousands of volunteers but twitter has no content moderators anymore so it means that like the experience i think has been made worse for many people and i think they've left the platform that would be my concern with the user base uh,
2: community you two know people in the springtime of their life because you are so like i mean tell me do your peers (laughs) people you know who aren't into the worlds that we're into are they engaging with twitter do do your friends do your younger siblings or whatever do they engage with twitter like just from your sample point of view
1: my friends use twitter when they're like looking for concert tickets or like trying to find out information on like some big public event where they're like oh maybe people will have tweeted about this mm-hmm. but they don't really seem to use it like i would use it for work where you just kind of you know go on and you know that mm-hmm. like it knows like oh yeah investing and stuff like that just to kind of see like what people are saying i don't think my friends would do that but so maybe an alternative st- st-
2: search engine like some yeah. alternative search engine what about you mike
0: um, I don't know if I know any Gen Zers. I'm an old mm-hmm. man at this stage, am I? <laughs> You sure are. Twitter is for news and sports mm-hmm. and vitriol, the big three.
2: Yeah, well, but the one thing we can be sure of, the whole thing is going to change again very shortly and we're going to be forced yeah. to talk about it again on Stock Club. I mean, we've had so many months and years where are like let's not try and talk about Elon yeah. the biggest news story of the day and the week and the year or, or the week I should say is is, is Elon it seems like he's a black hole for
0: yeah, I did. I did read a conspiracy theory that he's trying to protect the brand Twitter for when it goes bankrupt um, so it'll, x, x.com will go bankrupt and then whatever and then Twitter will still have some value mike hold on a minute now don't before you move on to the next subject what's this you seem to be fairly
2: well versed with conspiracy theories oh what's yeah going i'm a big on there?
0: Tim hatter he finds
1: them on twitter
0: <laughs> i find them on twitter that's that's the fourth the hidden fourth uh of my twitter use yeah yeah and
2: what's yes. there what's there oh, give us an have you any other kind of conspiracies on demand is there anything else you want to tell us about the world that we didn't know
0: uh, Google Colorado Airport. There's an awful lot of stuff going oh on there. Oh,
1: my gosh. <laughs>
2: what? Well, tell us. You can't leave us hanging. Tell, uh, okay, you two oh, know what's happening. I like, don't, and uh, I bet you most
0: of our listeners don't. It's a, like a Wikipedia tome of dodgy business. Um, really? It I can't really help. Uh, like, if you look at the blueprints, there's, like, another airport underground and stuff, I think. No,
1: it's a train system <laughs> because... <laughs> Because it's the Denver airport and they built, yeah, people were like, they built caverns under the airport. No, there's like a full underground train system at the Denver airport because obviously when you need to transfer between terminals in a state that gets a lot of snow, it doesn't make sense to have the train above ground. So it's underground. So there's a huge, big underground train system under Denver airport. But I think the issue that people get really upset about is when the airport was built, I think in the 90s, it was over a billion dollars over budget and people are like, where did all of that money go? Um but the airport did lean into it like last year they were doing renovations and so they had a lot of scaffolding up and they had covered up a big portion of the airport and they put up these big posters that were just like oh we're installing the aliens or don't worry we're like moving the mummies or something like that to like make jokes about it um <laughs> yeah there's also really horrible art in the denver airport like weird weird murals and and stuff like that so yeah it is a bit funky but i don't i don't know
0: yeah, there's another good one. I don't want to be called out for libel or slander on the podcast because I do realize this is a public forum, but uh, look up um, the mm, a certain political figure in Canada's... Um,
1: oh, yeah, I know <laughs> about yeah. Castro.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't, I don't really yeah. want to say it, but yeah.
1: Okay,
2: so what do we okay. Google?
0: Castro in Canada, is it? Castro yeah. and uh, Canadian Prime Minister, maybe. I don't know if mm. that's like somehow what you want to do i don't know i didn't say anything uh okay (laughs) before we get implicated uh we're going to move on to an elevator pitch this week and amory we're saying goodbye to an old friend so our first ever charging and fearless pitch has been acquired and being taken private tell us more
1: yeah so kahoot which i'm sure everyone's children are familiar with is that correct um is basically like that learning platform it's it's being taken private unfortunately by an effort by goldman sachs uh general atlantic and interestingly the Kirby Invest, which is the equity wing of the Lego Group, actually, which, you know, that kind of culturally seems like a, a good fit, you know, Lego and Kahoot. Um, it's an all cash deal that was proposed at a price per share of the Norwegian krona, 35 krona per share, which translates into about $3.50 a share. Um, that is an increase of 110% from when we pitched it back in January. Um, to be fair to us uh Kahoot was really in the toilet at the time it was it's a really small cap company you know it was in that like up and coming tech space making the turn towards profitability and as as we all know pretty much every single investor sold all of those companies off so it was uh down a good bit but yeah nice return um 110% i mean i would say that it's getting picked up now for the same reason that like we loved it as an investment back in the day which was you know it was trading at a really deep discount but was growing quite substantially um when we talked about it, I think it's like revenue growth year over year was almost like was over sixty percent or something like that so it's um nice nice little business um back in January, it was trading at a price to sales of four point seven which is you know quite small um so yeah, it's coming off the market, which is a bit sad um it was really like kind of really fun business um uh, has really great brand um awareness and brand equity has really really great partnerships with you know all these kind of big names national geographic and disney and all that thing and they were getting more into kind of the i see like the educational game space and and branching out from just the simple quiz stuff and they seem to have been doing that quite successfully um but yeah um hopefully someone someone uh got to enjoy the 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 rise over the last six months or so
0: yeah, yeah absolutely a quick two-bagger pats on the back for all so that is charging and fearless in the show notes ladies and gents um okay let's finish with a quick word from our friends and sponsors of vodafone business uh, vodafone business has always been a reliable provider for mobile and broadband needs but now they are so much more they now offer a whole array of digital apps from productivity tools and security solutions to it support and even website builders they're no longer a telecoms provider they're a comprehensive technology partner They're really stepping up to help businesses grow and flourish in an increasingly digital world, offering insightful digital advice and cutting-edge solutions on top of their dependable mobile network and broadband services. So if you're on a digital journey yourself, remember Vodafone Business is there to support, guide and empower you every step of the way. I'm Maria and Emmett, thank you very much for joining me today and thanks everyone for listening. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about us, leave us a review, send us into your WhatsApp group. I keep saying that, but it does help. <laughs> uh, follow us on Spotify, turn on notifications, anything else we need to ask people for while we're here?
1: Um... Know they could tweet about us, but I don't know if that website is going to be up in the next two
0: yeah. weeks. X, X.com about us. That sounds yeah. very dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Perfect. for joining us today, and we will talk to you next week.